Galatians chapter 5 today. You have been on the journey with us over the last many weeks, and today, picking right up where we left off a couple of weeks ago, Galatians chapter 5, and just in case you were not here a few weeks ago, in Galatians 4, a few of the things we talked about, but I want to put the slide up of of the natural, the carnal and the spiritual that we talked about a few weeks ago, just to kind of give you a a picture because it's going to help today I think as we move forward just in case you missed this part and this is a diagram I don't know where it actually came from I, I, I know I borrowed it from my district superintendent who used to be 20 years ago uh, Bill Birch I'm not sure exactly where it came from to him but some of you may know but or came from the Lord showing him I guess but it's helped me all these years a visual to kind of talk about the journey of kind of where basically everybody is and we have another illustration of that too in our five c's but we won't do that right now or even do that at all today but to understand that the natural man the person who again the cross christ is not their savior at this point and we all start there is that jesus said in john 3 3 and and, and i'll tell you where we got this just in case you want to write it down in case you want to fact check me first corinthians uh uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 13 and 14, and 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. You can go look that up. I'm not going to read that for you here, but we spent a lot of time on it that day. The natural man, Jesus says, and, and, and he's talking to Nicodemus at this time, a Pharisee. He's talking to him. says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Literally, that, that means see. He cannot understand the things of God. Unless you're born again, you can't grasp it. And you're, because Christ being outside, the Spirit not living in your heart in the way that will begin to show you. And you can see there's a throne, as, as, as the illustration goes, that in each one of our hearts and in our minds, uh, who we are, there is a throne and self is still on the throne and life is lived out as we, again, you can go back and listen to it because I really can't preach it, you know, two times, actually I could, but I won't, won't take that time. Life is lived on the instinct moderated by conscious or personal consciousness and our environment, how we were raised, the things, the laws of the land, it, we're moderated by that. Second is what we call carnal or worldly, whichever way you want to say it, it's, trans, it's used both ways. It has the principles of Christianity. The person who's accepted Christ, but guess who's still on the throne? Self is. And Paul talks about in this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians, he says, I wish I could give you meat. I wish by that, but you're still on milk. I still have to feed you milk. He said, you're still acting like mere men. You're still acting like this guy over here. I really can't tell. But if you have a Christ, you're brothers and sisters, he says, but you're still acting like those people. And again, those people are fine. We were all there. And let me say this about the natural man, and, I, and if you're here today and don't, and don't know Christ as your Savior, I, I hope this is not, I'm not trying to offend you or anything, but we all started there. And because we're here or even over here, we don't look down on. It's just the reality of. Matter of fact, If we're over here, we better be loving all these directions in a way that we never knew to love before. That better be what's happening. That's what we're going to talk about today in Galatians chapter 5. That's the reason why I want to give you this. But what I, one of the good illustrations uh, that I thought of, that's the reason why I said it was a great illustration or good illustration. 
But no, I think about this, uh, in, really, but I think about this, it's kind of like having a childproof cap on a medicine bottle. You've got the bottle, that's what the carnal or worldly, they've got the bottle, they've got it there, but they don't know how to open it because it's childproof. And what's happening is they've not matured to where they can begin to open up the things of God that are so deep and so life-changing. And the Old Testament talks about it in the symbolism of the Old Testament. And just, I know at times, some of the stories we even pull out here, we sometimes tell those stories as if everybody in the room knows those stories. But most of us know about Moses leading uh, the, the, the Israelites out of Egypt. If you don't, uh, we can talk about that. But they go through the Red Sea, then they end up in the wilderness. The Red Sea parts. The, the, Moses and the Israelites go through it. Pharaoh and his army come. It closes back up on them. They go through the wilderness, headed to Canaan. They have an opportunity to go into Canaan, which is the promised land, which is the, the land of milk and honey. They have the opportunity to do that, but somehow another fear stops them. It's kind of what happens to the one that gets stuck here in the middle. They're in the wilderness. Promised land is there. Deeper walk, understanding God differently is there. But for whatever reason, they get capped, they get stopped. And many times, what happens is, they, and this is what happened if when you read the scripture, what the Israelites did would say, We were better off where? In Egypt. We want to go back to Egypt, but what's in Egypt? Anybody know? Slavery. What has Paul been talking about the first four chapters of Galatians? I don't want you to go back to slavery. Then there's the spiritual. And this sounds very hierarchish, if you have like a better way to say it, but sounds almost like you're more righteous. This is not what we're trying to do here. But this is the person who begins to reach the point where the world system, as Romans 12, 1 and 2, as we talked about a few weeks ago, is no longer holding us back. We're no longer conforming to the ways of this world. Where we're being what? Transformed by the renewing of our minds and our life. Morpho, metamorphosis, like a caterpillar transforming to a butterfly. The spiritual man has entered into Canaan. And he looks back and he sees the Red Sea is closed. What he has done, the spiritual man is burning bridges behind him saying, I'm not going back. See, one of the reasons I think people struggle so much right in here, and I'm getting off my notes here, is that you're not burning some bridges you need to burn. You're leaving avenues open that pull you back. You're leaving avenues open that's just too easy to go back. And you know it's slavery. You know it's, it's a life you don't want to try to live out. You know you've tried living it out. And it's, but for some reason, you still want to leave, you don't want to burn that bridge. I know in life, we don't want to burn bridges as far as relationships. I get all that. But there are some, some things you need to be burning bridges behind you saying we're not going back. And you may have to confess it to someone. You may have to state it. You may have to make it public. I don't know how. I don't know what you may have to do, but you may have to burn a bridge. Okay, that's not the sermon today. So now we're about to get started on the sermon. That's the last two weeks ago sermon. 
What's so awesome about this? I hope you're hearing my heart on this. Is that there's hope for God to change us and to transform. One of our values here at Renovation, there's three, community mercy, and the other one is transformation. We believe God can change us to become something we never could have come become without him being in our lives. I've said before, I don't want just a faith that stops me from doing things. I want a faith that causes me to become something I never could have been before. That's transformation. That's the morpho. I love what Richard Foster says in his book, Living Streams. He said, God begins to capture you. From the heart and will, then the mind, then the imagination, and the passions. And it's more than just breaking habits. We begin to take on the personality and habits of Christ. The best way to escape conforming to this world is not by trying to be unlike the world, but by allowing ourselves to become like Christ. So many of you in your spiritual journey have tried to stop so many things when you should have been trying to become. Where the things of God begin to come into you and begin to push those other things out. They just don't have room anymore. They don't have any appeal anymore. Because there's a lot of religions that can cause you to, can discipline you to stop things. But man, becoming something you never could have been before, that's a whole different kind of faith. So Galatians chapter 5, that's where we're going to go today. Here you go, Jan. There you go. I may, I may need those later. No. I love this first line in Galatians 5, or Galatians 13, excuse me, Galatians 5, 13 through 26, not the, but the first line I'm going to read. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Please underline that if, you don't, if you've got a box. Please circle free. You were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And there's so much I could, we could preach on here, but I'm going to land on the, on the traits of the Spirit living in our lives. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out. (laughs) Watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desire what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit's what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Anybody in here ever been there? They are in conflict. Go back and read Romans 7. Romans 7, Paul says, the things I want to do, I I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I I do. But in the middle of Romans 7 is Romans 7, 22, where Paul says, and that's the reason I've said before on that, it's not up there anymore, but when I said the illustration between carnal and spiritual, somewhere in between there is Romans 7, 22. And Paul says, in my depths of who I am, I desire God's law. See, you're not born with that. 
something is happening in you, something is changing you, something is calling you to now want something that you never would have wanted on your own. Some of you are there right now. Something is stirring in you to hunger for more, to not want to live capped and in bondage. You're stirring for something. And and in your inner being, you really could say the words of the Apostle Paul, in my inner being, I am hungering and desiring for God to be lived out in my life. They're in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And we've preached on that. You can go back and listen to those. I won't try to preach that sermon again, or sermons even. I think we've touched on it three different weeks about that. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, uh, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies. And he goes, okay, that, that's not even a long enough list, and the like. I love that. Okay, I listed all that, but this is an almost an endless list. <laughs> I don't know, maybe not endless, but it goes about this, just the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, or faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to the Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. There's a lot there. But we are going to camp on the fruit of the Spirit today. And I'm going to talk more about it next week. I'm not going to go through all of them today. It's kind of a, we're going to get into chapter 6 next week and conclude the, the series. But I believe there are some things that we can take back out of this that will help us kind of put it all together. So that's what we're going to try to do today. But one of the things I would say first is the cultivation of the fruit is important. But I want to make sure you understand, and we've talked about this from day one, Earning God's grace is not even a possibility. It is unmerited. But there is effort in growing in His grace. And we use the illustration here, and if you are here, no, you, you may, have, may not have heard this before, but if you're here, if you've been here a long time, you've heard it a thousand times, seems like. It's like a farmer planting a seed. A farmer knows, when to, a farmer knows what soil to plant it in, knows what season to plant it in. He knows when to toil this or, 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 or till the soil. He knows where to plant it. He knows how to cover it up. He knows how to fertilize. He knows how to cultivate. He knows all those things. But there's, and he can do all those right, but there's one thing he can't make it do. He cannot make it grow. But he can try to give the best conditions to make it grow. When we talk about transformation, only the Holy Spirit can cause it to grow in me. Only the Holy Spirit can change me. But what I can do is try to give the best conditions for that to happen. Does that make sense? That, that's what we're talking about. So, so don't read, don't walk out of here today and go, boy, I've got to put a lot of effort in it. Yeah, there may be effort, but there is no earning. Only the Spirit can grow this in you. 
Only the Spirit, it's only the evidence of the Spirit, a Christ-like, grace-filled life can these things happen. So I just want to make sure you're, 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 again, I know I have to come back and remind people at times that we're not talking about a legalistic earning type faith here, but we are talking about there is effort. What does Paul say? Keep in step with the Spirit. There is something you got to do. But at the end of the day, only Christ, only Christ, the Spirit of the Holy Spirit can do it in you. I just want to make sure, I know I've reiterated many times, I just want to make sure you understand that. So, the fruit of the Spirit love. And if you've not read the Bible a lot, I would encourage you to go to 1 Corinthians 13. You can go to the front of your Bible, it'll be there. You see 1 Corinthians, go to chapter 13, read the whole chapter. Uh, 13. I think I'm not going to do it today for you, uh, just for time. But if you if you're new to the faith or you're investigating it, just write that down and go look it up later. Because I'll tell you, it explains to you what we're talking about here in love. And at the end of the day, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love, an agape love, an unconditional, unmerited love. And and a reminder, and I'll mention it again probably towards the end. There are various spiritual gifts. We teach on that here. We believe that when a congregation is operating at its fullest extent, it's when a congregation, we're not there yet, and we're just starting to work on all that, but when it's operating in its spiritual gifts. If you want to see a church that's making a difference in its community, not only in its body here, but in the community, it's one that needs to be operating fully into the gifts of the Spirit. But I want to say this, and I want to make sure you understand, that is not what I'm talking about today. But there's only one fruit of the Spirit, which is love. So many times we say fruits of the Spirit. But there's only, it is the fruit of the Spirit. It is love. And it's impossible for me to overemphasize today, and it may not be a tripping point for some of you, but it may be. That love is the evidence that you have been born again. Love your enemies, Jesus says. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them which despitefully use you, Luke 6. This is impossible with a natural man. It is impossible. It's impossible. Can I say that? I can't say it enough times. It cannot be produced by human effort. It cannot be produced by disciplining yourself well enough. Even though discipline is a part of all this. We'll talk about more of that next week. Self-control. But it is only the spirit working in you in a grace-filled life that changes you. And what happens is you begin to love people. Not because of what they have or have not done for you. You begin to love people because of who you've become in him. Changes everything. They can spit on you. They can curse you. They can slander you. But there's one thing they can't stop you from doing is loving them. Because it's not about them anymore. It's about you and him. Changes everything. 
changes the way you go through your life, friend. Some of you need to ask yourself a question, I think. Is it most of the people who I love in my life, I love them because of what they do for me? Parents run into this all the time, right? All the time. That your children, if they're not careful, they love you. If they say, I love you, what they may be saying, and I'm not saying it's totally wrong not, not at all, but what they may be saying, especially even as they get older, what they may be saying, I love you because of, of who you are. I love you because of what you've done for me. But I don't know how to love anybody because of who I've become. It means anytime you deal with confrontation, you know where you start with confrontation? You don't start with confrontations and, con- and confrontational conversations as we would talk about uh, uh, critical conversations that we would talk about here. You don't start with anger. You don't start with a righteous indignation. You start with grace. You know you've changed when you begin to have confrontational conversations based first, is my heart right? With God. Is my heart right? Am I grace filled? Before I ever opened my mouth, the Lord brought this to me years ago when I had to deal with a situation in Texas, and I, I won't tell you the person's name. <laughs> But the Lord, as I was going to, to meet with this person, this is when I was already out here and I had to go back and deal with something and, and, and I was going over to his, his place to, to confront him. The, I, said, I started praying and the Lord gave me this prayer and it stuck with me for almost 20 years. Number one, Lord, let my heart be right. Am I full of grace? Let my heart be right. Two, Lord, let me be factual. Has anybody ever gotten an argument with somebody or a confrontation where they're just pulling stuff out of left field and they're just throwing things against the wall and they're just, and we're going to use language and we're going to use all these other things and we're going to accuse and we're going to do all that? What the way you deal with that as a Christ follower? You deal with facts. You deal with what you know. And you don't go outside of that. And if you do, you say, this is my opinion. But the third thing is, is be bold. You say, well, you just can't. No, 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 no. you got to understand what we define bold here at Renovation. It's not blunt. Someone said, well, I'm blunt all the time. Yeah, let me tell you what I think about blunt people, and it's going to offend about half, no, not half of you, but some of you. Most people who are blunt are insecure, is my opinion. And it's a form of Intimidation. It's a form of intimidation going, don't cross me or I'm coming right at you. And that's not, I don't see that in scripture. But I do see boldness. Being bold is this. And I'm not talking about cocky or arrogant or anger. Bold is speaking or living the truth for the common good, even at personal risk. I'm willing to risk my reputation. I'm willing to risk my relationship to do what I know is right in God's eyes. But that's different than bluntness, right? 
Love is the gorilla glue <laughs> that holds all these other virtues we're going to talk about today together. It is the common denominator. Every time I mention one today or next week, you've got to go back to love. And you cannot have these other virtues without love. Y'all just want me to stop now? <laughs> one, and it has to be to my family. That's the only one I got out of that. Only one I got out of that. That's all right. I'm going anyway. Joy. You're one of the things I believe Jesus asked, and I think it's John 15, he says, he says, fruit, produce more fruit, fruit, fruit. And I don't realize it can be, obviously, you can measure some of those in some ways out here, but in other ways, it is what's changing on the inside of you. But Christian joy, I want you to know, is not what we would classify as happiness because happiness many times depends on what's what? happening. But joy says in the midst of despair, in the midst of even critical things, in the midst of things I don't understand, in the midst of all that, I believe God's in, Jesus Christ is in control of all this and he has something in store that I can't see at this point. It's hard to understand the joy that you would feel in the midst of that. You have faith inside of that joy to let go of things. You, have, you, you, you believe that any trial is, is a divine blessing in disguise. <laughs> a more spontaneous bent to look for Jesus in every circumstance. Wouldn't it be awesome to be walking in your faith at such a level that every time something comes across your plate that just, that you begin to look for Jesus? What's he up to? Now, I don't mean evil things haven't brought it, and I don't mean people who are far away from God don't. I'm saying for you. Jesus, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing around us? What are you doing in other people's lives? What do you, what's... Paul talks about Joy and rejoicing, if you read Philippians, which we will in this series, he uses it 17 times in Philippians. And I think when the joy of the Lord is part of a person's life, it's undeniable. I read this somewhere, and I, I don't know where I read it, but it says that joy is the greatest defender against temptation, divorce, addiction, and the greatest offense for transferring, transforming the world around you. Peace. I put here peacemaker or reconciler. Because peace is more than maybe in some ways, obviously it's way more than happiness as we've already talked about. Peace is... As we all know, well, I say we all know, but if you're reconciled to God, it is you now have peace with God. You have been reconciled. But then Jesus comes along in Matthew 5, 9, the Beatitudes says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. He 
He does not say, blessed are the peacekeepers. Not blessed are the peace lovers. See, peacekeepers simply want to operate without conflict. For instance, in a home, and I've dealt with this as a counselor and dealt with it, and, and you know, and many times I see, especially the mom, and I'm not trying to make it, but many times it's the case where the mom just wants peace in the home. And they're dealing with the teenager, and they're dealing, they just want peace in the home. What they mean by peace is no visible conflict. But there is no peace. We see it in marriages. As long as we don't argue, there's peace, right? But the reality is there may not be peace. There's deep conflict that's just not being talked about. I have seen marriages that I believe have laid in that realm for decades. They've just taken things off the table. They've removed them. So now all of a sudden it looks like we're at peace. No, we're not at peace because there's still conflict under the surface. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who have the the spirit working in them of reconciliation. The spirit to be able to draw people back, not only to God, but back to each other. Blessed are those people. It's about restoring And I know there's times where it's hard to figure it out. And I get that. I've been there. But it's about wholeness. Reconciliation is bringing people back to wholeness. But it kind of walks into the next one. And that is forbearance or long-suffering or patience. And many translations or many people would use, and you, we've, you've, many of you have heard it in your life, don't be praying for patience because God will what? Give you opportunities to, to work that muscle, huh? We've, we've, we've many times heard that. But many times patience is applied when we don't have a choice. But see, I think when the term, the translation of forbearance goes way beyond that. You truly have the option not to wait. But because of the work of the Spirit in your life, you're able with joy and peace to not enforce your right. It's a refraining from the enforcement of something, a refraining from the enforcement of a debt or a right or an obligation. In other words, I give up my right to be right for the good of others and the sake of the kingdom. The world we live in today does not promote this. When was the last time you had every right to call someone out, to call a debt, to call it was your right, but because of the Spirit leading you, not because of fear, not because you were afraid to confront, but because of the Spirit leading you, you gave up the right to be right. Some of you are stuck right here in your spiritual walk, in my opinion. 
don't know if we have the five C's. I just want to flash them up there real quick that we talked about a few weeks ago. We believe every person, I believe that every person falls into one of these five categories, but I don't self-identify. I don't put them in that category. It's just we believe, I, the Lord's given me this, and I've worked on it because I want to minister to people where they are. One of the things I believe is you've got to help people to locate. They've got to know where they are. Because they keep thinking they're somewhere else. It's hard to help people move. But one of them is capped. And that's the person who is convinced. They're comfortable in their faith with Christ. They're no doubt a Christian. They are, they, but they're stuck in that carnal. They've become complacent. It's just like saying, oh, yeah, I'm at peace with something. You know, sometimes peace doesn't mean peace is what the Scripture means. Peace means I don't care. <laughs> sometimes people say, well, I'm at peace with my marriage. No, you're not at peace with your marriage. You've kind of, you just got to the point where you just don't really care. You're just apathetic about it. That's not peace. Call it what it is. That's fake. That's counterfeit peace. That is apathetic. That is indifference. That's I don't really care. It's different. But capped. Now, I may bring it up again next week because I think it's a challenge. And I brought it up the last few weeks. But I love Timothy Keller's example of this in his book. Uh, and I'll talk about Galatians for you. But he talks about the fact that that one of the reasons people get stuck, they get blocked in their faith, he said it's usually in one of three areas and it begins to cause bitterness and anger. And it's in one of three areas, and you can write them down if you want them. One of them is they've been blocked in comfort, they've been blocked in control, or they've been blocked in approval. Did you know the gospel is offensive? Did you know that the gospel will make you uncomfortable? Do you know that you may even walk in this room some weeks and I preach the best I know how I believe led by the Spirit, but you, you know, let God be my judge and you be my critic if you're on that, if you want to be. But I'll say this, at the end of the day, I know that I could preach something in here straight from what God's heart is and it'd be offensive to you and it, and it causes even some kind of something to rise up because in the middle of that, it's disrupting your comfort. Control. We're stuck. We're capped. Never moving to being compelled and really just passionate, chasing after God. Why? Because I'm stuck. And I haven't burned a bridge, potentially. Maybe I haven't burned a bridge to what Paul writes up here in the previous chapter, um, previous verse, when he reads out the acts of the flesh. Maybe there's bridges you haven't burned there. Kindness. I like that translation, uh, transition. Kindness. <laughs> it's also described as gentleness, and we'll talk about that more next week, but goodness, uprightness, generosity, and graciousness. Kindness is love dealing with others in their faults. Let me say this. Kindness is love dealing with others even in their faults. I, again, I read this somewhere, so perhaps nothing more frequently discredits one's testimony and ministry than unkindness. If you're going to rip into somebody at a store, please don't tell them that you go to renovation, okay? <laughs> you know the reason why we haven't given out stickers on the, put you, our logo that you can put on the back of your car is because we don't, we, we've seen your driving habits and we really, really don't want to have that flashed all over town as unkindness. 
Nah, that may be part of it. (laughs) But nothing discredits us more. And if you do have those moments, and I think we all run into that sometimes, please go back and try to restore that. To call that person back up on the phone at that place that's been bugging you. If there's a way to restore it, do it. But again, let me say this though just real quick so we can move on. To really live this out, and there's a lot more I could say about this. You have to be led by the Spirit or you will have this tendency to be insecure. You have to have a deep inner security to be kind to people who are going to be unkind to you. You know why? Because then they're going to think you're weak. You don't have the guts to stand up for yourself. Oh, they don't realize many times you've got more restraint and more self-control and more ability to stand in that gap than they ever even thought about having. But because a God is doing something in your life, you're able to stand there and stand firm when, yeah, you want to, and we talked, I think Vince and I talked about that, you want to run and you, and, you, and you want to fight and you're in there, but God says stand right here in kindness. And when nothing around it the world would say in the natural, there is no reason to be crying. Matter of fact, don't throw forbearance out the window. <laughs> you have every right right now to stick it to them. Goodness. The deliverance, the deliberate preference to do right and wrong. To know the difference between right and wrong and to do the right thing. You're not stagnant in your faith. You're not capped in your faith. You're not there. You're literally desiring to do more and more, to be good. Because God is doing something in you. Not so someone will say, look how good he or she is. But no, you're doing it because out of that goodness, there is a fragrance and aroma of life that comes. And goodness is so closely tied to integrity. That you're the same person wherever you are. Goodness really is love in action. And there's so much more I could say about that, but I know we've got to get rolling. The last one I'm going to list here, then I'm going to list a couple of things left, is faith. The majority of translators translate this faithfulness rather than just faith. Now, when I say just faith, don't think I'm minimizing faith. But the question here is, can you be counted on? Can you be counted on? More than being able to tell the truth when you should. More than being able for me to trust you with my wife or my money or whatever. No, more than that. You're faithful. I think one of the most admirable things someone can say about you in the middle of all this That you can count on them. You can count on them to live out their conviction and passion. You, you can count on them. And their motives of why they're trying to do what they're trying to do. Especially when it's pertaining to what they're doing with us. 
And I realize in anything we've talked about here today, we can be misunderstood and who we are and what we're trying to be. But I think that's why the inner security of Christ's work in your life is so critical. Timothy Keller, I'm going to ask Josiah and him to come as we close, as we go have time of communion. And I'll maybe share more about this next week, and we don't have time to go through it here today. But Timothy Keller talks about, in his book, Galatians for You, he said, Christian growth is this. He said, it's gradual. He said, you never really see it happening. You can only measure it after time. He said, it's inevitable. If you are a Christ follower, these traits are going to be evident. (laughs) There's no way around it. They just are. They have internal roots. I love his statement about the fact that the fruit does not produce life. Only life produces fruit. Christ living in you is the only way these fruits will be evident. It's not the other way around. And the fact that even gifts that you may have of the Spirit, and we in the Church of the Nazarene look at it different maybe than some, but we believe that at the end of the day, the evidence of being filled with the Spirit is not the fact that you have some gift of the Spirit, which is great. But it is the fruits of the Spirit being lived out in your life is the evidence of the Spirit filling your life. And I love his last one here. He said it's symmetrical. You don't just get one. And you don't ever have to get the others. All of them should be rising up. Now they may not be at the same pace. And we got to be careful just because I'm a person who's an extrovert. And I'm always outgoing and I'm always this or that. uh, That may just be a natural tendency we talked about earlier. That's just your personality. But it may not show that you're a person of joy. Because if you got that, you better have... Because I know a lot of people who are like that are not very reliable. It's all of them. You could say, I have peace about that, but what you're really saying is, I'm indifferent to that. We'll talk more about this next week. I'm just thankful when Christ found me. Of course, He found me way early on. But I didn't want to pay attention. He found me when I was, I, I recognized him when I was about 15 or 16 years old and ran for a decade. But he never quit chasing after me. People say, well, where was God during all that time? He's where he's always been, chasing after you. <laughs> he's the same place he's always been. I wish I'd have known. What I had in store for me that decade got called the lost decade. But it transformed my life. And he's still transforming it. It never stops. And there's not an age where you start. If you're 14, 15, or 16, it's now. If you're 70 or 80, you know what, matter of fact, if you're 70 or 80, you should be the kindest person we've ever met because you should be growing in kindness. I don't see that a lot of times in older people. They actually think they've got a right to get away with things. 
I used to think, man, I can't wait to get to be old because I can just do, say, do whatever I want to. <laughs> and when I read scripture, I'm supposed to be kinder. The older and the more mature I walk in my faith. That's what he has in store for us. He said, it's for freedom's sake. I came. It's for you to be free. This whole thing, this whole Galatians, Paul's right, it's for freedom's sake. So as we close today, we're going to close around the communion table. And we do it here at Renovation of coming forward, but you don't have to today. I, if you feel different or you're not able to come down front, I'm going to ask if there's a couple of us or some few guys in the back if they could help me with this. We've got some... Uh, prepared uh, communion cups and, and bread there that we can bring to you if you want to raise your hand or you want to do this differently that's okay too but for the rest of us what we will do is for those who are followers of Christ you don't have to be a member of this church at all or a member of the church of the Nazarene but to be a part we would ask that you would know Christ or you're searching or hungering to know him I'm going to ask you to stand at this time and just to logistically let you know they're coming down the side, this aisle here, and come down and you'll take the bread and dip it in the juice and partake of it here at the table and return to your seat as we will close after that. But on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat with his disciples knowing, but he still shared with them an example of the way that he would die and the blood that he would shed he said, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to pray for us as we go through this time. But let me say this to you. You don't have to come. I just want to make sure we don't want anybody to ever be uncomfortable doing this. You don't have to come. We just invite you if you want to, and you will come when you feel led. Lord, we thank you now for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to be here together and to share around the table Lord, on this July Sunday the Lord could be a game changer moment a spiritual marker for some they look back on this day that they're never going to be the same again Lord we thank you today for what you have done for us if you never did anything else today again for us Lord as we remember your your death on the cross and the blood that was shed as we remember that We would never really have to have anything else given to us just to continue to thank you for the rest of our lives. But we come today, Lord, in remembrance of that. Lord, bless this time as we as a family come in community around your table. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Come as you feel led.